Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings, much more. Geico has been around for more than 75 years, back when they were using Morse code. Sorry, that's just my sense of humor. What's more, with Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents on the app, online, or over the phone, so you can talk to them at night or in the morning. So forevermore, just know that no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. More power to you. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more.
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It's Sunday, January 15, 2017. We're three shows into the year already. I can't believe how quick it's going, right? <laughs> we'll be saying that every month of this year until December comes around. We'll see how fast did the year go. All right, right there, Faithful Breath with Gold and Glory, the title track of that record. I remember the band came to New York. It had to be, they were, they were out on tour promoting that album, so it had to be 1984. And they played in a small club in Staten Island. I just the name is not coming to me right now. They had a couple of cool shows there. I went there quite a few times uh, back though, back in those days. I was still living in Brooklyn, so it was a long commute by bus for a teenager. But we did it anyway, and uh, we saw Faithful Breath. They opened up for my uh, old co-host Tommy Flanger's band Tempest, and I want to say a band Nightmare was on the bill. There was another band on the bill. I would have to. I should have checked with Tommy before that. I should have found out. But it was a great show. Small club, a very poor turnout. I mean, there were probably maybe two dozen people in the place, and the band was definitely disappointed. I mean, they came here, I guess they thought they were going to be playing in front of these massive audiences and these large clubs, because back then, Lamar, you know, was tacking them in almost every night when bands played. And uh, I guess uh, coming from uh, over in Germany, they were expecting a lot more, but it was a very small turnout. Uh, but they were great. I remember I interviewed the band. Uh, after the show, and uh, you can see how disappointed they are. The, the language barrier was horrific between my Brooklyn accent and them barely understanding any English, <laughs> speaking German. It was a funny interview, and I, I did transcribe it on the MP3. Maybe one day for fun, we'll, we'll just put it up here. It's a bunch of dumb questions for like five minutes, but it was a pretty fun night, I have to say. A great band. All right, well, listen, we got a killer show for everybody tonight. Madam Mayhem. I spoke to her during this week, so this interview was uh, pre recorded. Uh, she played live this past Tuesday. We were kind of promoting it, but unfortunately, the show airs on Sunday. And, you know, most people that didn't go to the show already, it's too late for that now. But we'll get that interview up uh, in about 20 minutes or so. And calling in live, Jacques Ballinger from Exciter in the old days, but these days, he's fronting Assassin's Blade, a killer band. Put out their debut record last year. We'll play a couple of tracks off for that. We'll talk about what's coming up for the band and everything else Jacques's done in the past. So uh, stick around. It's going to be a great show tonight. All right, let's jump right into the music here. How about some Malaya Rage with Enter the Darkness?
Well, I don't know what happened over there. The song got cut off. That was New Attacker by the will of Krom. It's supposed to go into the, the next part of it, the song, but it kind of got cut off there. So I do apologize. I know uh, John wanted to hear Attacker last week, so I was trying to get it on. That's what I hate about, like, you know, these internet radio shows that we do like this because you only upload an MP3. It, it doesn't, it's like the old days when one song bled into the next on a vinyl record. You have to do anything about it. If you get to put the second song on that it goes into it, it kind of screws you up. But there you go. By the will of crime, both the new attack of sins of the world. The band played last night in New Jersey at Dingbats. I had their record release party. I was planning on going the whole time, but we had really crappy weather here last night and it was ice cold out and I was real comfortable at home. I just didn't want to get up and go. So I have to apologize for the band, but I will get to the next show. They are playing at the rage of Armageddon festival. Uh, I believe that's April. I want to say it's coming up this April and they also have another show planned. And uh, I believe Queens of Blackbourne or Blackbourne 51. Uh, so if you didn't get to see them last night, two shots coming up, one in Brooklyn, one in Queens, it's going to be great. I'll catch one of them if I can. But I do know I will be at the Defenders of All Festival coming up this June in Brooklyn. Uh, stick around this uh, Friday, probably on the Facebook page, the 20th, this Friday. Uh, he wearing the promoter is going to announce the lineup for the three days, all the bands that are going to be on the bill. And uh, I have to tell you, I know who they all are. I can't say anything until he makes the announcement because it's his gig and it's his right to uh, bask in the glory of all the classic bands he's bringing to Brooklyn. This June, but I tell you, you will not be disappointed, not in one night of this festival. And there's still more coming. Uh, he might have them confirmed by Friday. There might be special bands or acts that he brings in last minute, but you will not be disappointed. So I can tell you now, if the tickets go on pre-sale before they make the announcement, buy them. If you're a diehard underground fan of the 80s, you will not want to miss what's coming to this show. That's all I'm going to say. All right, here. How about I get on, uh, you know what, Frigid Bitch. We had Joe Lennon on the show last year. I was talking to Joe the other day. Uh, he sent me over the MP3s to the re-recorded version of Tyrants of a Generation. Uh, they are actually in the studio right now, in our Twisted Sister studio, uh, re-recording the entire first record of some other songs. And they're going to re-release uh, you know, all those classic tunes off the, off the earlier days, especially the first record. Uh, I guess it's going to be this year because it is in the beginning of the year and they got a whole year to get it out. Uh, but uh, let's play some frigid bits. Uh, I guess it's something old, something new. Here you go.
All right, Shock Paris, go down fighting. I don't know what's going on with those guys. We had Vic Hicks on the show, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And uh, at that time, it looked like they were going to get busy again, start writing and working on new music, but uh, nothing out of the group in a very long time. So I don't know if it's over or not. I should check with Vic and uh, find out. It would be great to have those guys put out some new music. That is a definite. All right, like I said, I spoke with Matt and Mayhem this week. Uh, let's get that interview on right now. And then we have Jacques Bellinger calling in live right after that, or about a half hour after that. Uh, so let's do the Matter Mayhem interview, get on some more music, talk about what's going on in the world of heavy metal this week, and uh, talk with Jacques. Here you go. How are you today? How are you? I'm doing great. How's everything going? Everything's great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, anytime. Hey, 2016 was a pretty good year for you. Oh, yeah, it was. It was awesome. I'm glad. I mean, it, it was it was the first year really you were out there getting the name out there and making people hear about, you know, your music and what you're all about and your show. How do you feel it went for the first year? Well, the I first think it was great. Year, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've been doing this for a while, but being able to finally get out on these national tours, opening up for great bands like Doro and Mushroom Head, I mean, it was an amazing experience. And people who knew us but never had a chance to see us, uh, loved it, and people who didn't even know who we were, you know, are converted fans. So it was great, and just being on the road and performing live is my number one passion. Of course, creating music as well, but performing is my favorite. So you can't go wrong. <laughs> True. I mean, you think playing live is the best promotional tool you have, where people can actually see what you're all about and just not hear the record or see pictures on the album. I think so. I mean, of course, the music is first and foremost. So if you're going to be a fan, you're going to love the music. But I think until you see one of those bands that you you love live, it's it's not the same. So I definitely believe in the power of live music. I agree with you. I mean, I caught one of your shows with Doro last year. Amazing. You know, as great as the music is, you're also a very visual artist, very theatrical, and it comes across on stage. And that's something I think is missing in a lot of music and a lot of bands today. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I try. I love it. Like, when I'm on stage, I love to put on a show because that's what I would love to see, too. So I just keep keep doing it, and the bigger, the better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you have a show coming up tomorrow. About, I mean, you're back home in New York at the Mercury Lounge. It's going to be an early show for people, so they kind of have to get there, you know, around 6 o'clock, I'm guessing. Uh, and I hear that you're going to be doing yeah. some new songs. Yeah, Doors are at 6.30, um, and we have this awesome band, Midnight Crisis, which is going to be opening up at Doors for us, um, which I'm excited about. And then we'll be hitting the stage, I think it's called for 7.30. Um, it'll be early, so people, you know, happy hour type there and have a good time. I mean, I think that's better than going to any bar without live music, for sure. So that, that's what I would want to do afterward. Um, so, Absolutely. yeah, we're doing the early show. And um, new music. So we... When we were on tour all of 2016, we noticed that none of the shows were really coming into the city, which is, of course, where I was born, and it's my home city. So um, now that we had this time off, we wanted to be able to do a show for, you know, the fans of where it all started um, here in New York City. And so we're going to have a treat. Of course, we're going to do the singles that everyone knows and loves, and then we're going to be throwing in a bunch of brand-new, never-before-heard, unreleased music that I was writing with Corey Lowry in between these tours. That's going to be great. I mean, how do you, you know, when you present the new song live for the first time, especially before people hear it, I mean, do you worry about the reaction live on stage where people just don't know it yet? It's, it's interesting. I mean, some people 
love, of course, to hear the songs that they know and, you know, fans that they know. And then some people love to discover the new. So I always, I, I haven't had a bad experience yet, so let's hope it doesn't happen <laughs> soon <Yeah. laughs> um, of people just hearing it and loving it. I mean, we take what we do seriously, but we love to have fun with it too. So, of course, the music and, you know, the musicianship has to be on point. And luckily I have guys that can nail it. So I, I, I'm pretty confident that everyone's going to love it. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, does this music sort of kind of follow where you left off with Now You Know, or have you taken the band in a little different direction with the newer stuff? It's definitely, you're going to know that it's Madame Mayhem. You're going to know it's me. But I always love to grow with the music that I'm writing, and different experiences happen, and that's how these songs get written, based on real experiences, real ideas, real feelings. So uh, I think there's going to be something in the new music for everyone. Um, People who love the album Now You Know are going to love this album as well, and people you know, that are experiencing the new music for the first time are also going to love it. They're, they're very dynamic. Yeah. I mean, as an artist, do you feel like you have to grow with each other? And I shouldn't say grow, but, you know, change and experiment, or do you feel like you have to kind of write in the same mold because that is what fans expect, and they don't want to see you change. But as an artist, obviously you will over the years. Yeah, I feel that, I mean, for me, I don't really think about it too much. I'm more thinking about I have this great idea for a song or this song is awesome, you know, and, and more about is the song a great song is something that I would want to listen to, and then hopefully my fans will want to listen to as well. Um, I don't worry too much about sounding the same or sounding different, but I have, I mean, I have a very eclectic taste in music, but I am a rocker and metal chick first and foremost. So there's always going to be those elements in there where everyone, you know, who's already a fan of mine will enjoy. Yeah. Are you bringing in some of your old friends for the new album or the new songs when it comes out? Because I know in the last one, Billy Sheenan was involved in it. You were just talking about Corey. Uh, Russ Parrish was involved in that record. Bumblefoot. Everybody kind of uh, was playing with you on that. I'm, yeah, and, and those guys are amazing, and I always want to work with them at all times. Um, these songs specifically, um, the brand new ones, I wrote with Corey and Clint Lowry, um, the brothers. They are amazing. Um, and, of course, um, I always work with Billy and always want to work with these guys whenever possible. So, you know, it's not completed. These songs are album. There's no, you know, nothing, nothing is finalized yet. So it'll be a surprise when it finally comes out. But Ah, in the meantime, we're still pushing Now You Know. And and these new songs are just a special treat for the people that, you know, are coming to support us from my hometown. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's necessary to keep pushing albums out as quickly as possible to keep the momentum going? Or, or do you like, you know, from that school, we say, you know what, we put it out, you know, let it grow for a year or two, let people get into it, let's support it live and play out. Or do you feel like you have to get something out to keep things like, you know, keep that momentum going? I mean, I know that there are, there are models to, you know, making sure you have a certain album within a certain amount of time, but songs just kind of organically came um, just because I don't like sitting still and I had some time in between these last tours, and I wanted to just keep writing, and I had so much inspiration, actually, from this year to write, and so, you know, these songs kind of just happened. We didn't realize we were going to have so many, um, so much new music so quickly, but yeah, I'm definitely still promoting Now You Know. I'm so proud of that record, and uh, everyone seems to really enjoy it, so I'm thrilled to be still doing that, and then, you know, being able to test out some of the new stuff while that's happening is I think is still cool. Yeah. You know, the music business is a business and, and it can be rough sometimes. You're not new to it by any means, but was there a time when you were learning and going through the process for the first time where something kind of caught you off guard and you said, damn, and now I know what this is all about. And, you know, you kind of learn from that. 
I think that's all the time, actually. Just when you think you have it down, that always happens. This industry is very unique in that sense. Like, you can think you know it all, and you've got that, the industry down, and you're all set, and then something can happen and totally, you know, mess all that up. Everything is learning, but I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. So you take the good and the bad of it, and it ends up being a wonderful thing. Yeah. Is it hard to trust people in this business? I mean, do you really have to like watch who you surround yourself with to kind of help move the band along? Because as much as you can do on your own, you kind of do need outside help, like, you know, from certain people. Yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to have like some great guys that I've surrounded myself with. Um, so I'm really happy about that. But yeah, you you never know. I mean, I've heard horror stories um, and you just need to just as much as, yeah, I mean, I was a one woman show for a while, just trying to run everything on my own. And luckily as I was growing, I was able to find some really cool people that, you know, believed in what I did and then are helping me get through it. So I think it's just, you know, finding those people that are just as excited about the music and what you're doing as you are. I'm guessing, especially band members, is it important to try to keep a stable, a steady lineup together? It's not so easy today. As much as you try, things happen in life and people just aren't able to commit. Yeah, I mean, I have great band members and a lot of them are in awesome bands, other bands, not just mine. So sometimes with the touring schedules or anything really, you know, they're, they just can't be there all the time. So the good news is I have an amazing band of core guys that I love and that love what we do and love our music. And then if for some reason someone can't do it, there's an, there, there is someone out there that can really, you know, come in and, and take and take over. But I, I am very particular with who I like to play with and, and, so it, it is, it's a struggle, but not in a sense where it's too bad. I mean, everyone has a million things going on because that's just what music is. And if you can keep your guys together, great. And then if for some reason someone misses a show, it's okay, you know, as long as you have someone that is just as excited to be involved as well. Yeah, it is hard today because, like I said, if you want to do this for a living, if you want to do this all the time, you kind of have to be in multiple bands and projects uh, to make a living out of it because it, it is a little difficult these days. Yeah, I mean, if it was up to me, I would be on the road all day, every day, <laughs> nonstop. But it doesn't work that way. So, you know, once I'm off, then, then they, you know, go and do their other bands. And that's totally cool because they're making great music as well. So I have no problem with that. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of people in a lot of bands today, they kind of rely strictly on, on social media uh, to get the word out and to do all the promoting. Uh, do you think it's really all it is meant to be as far as a promotional tool goes? Because everybody will click, they like something or they come to something, and then when it happens, they don't come, you know, or they don't show up, but they don't yeah. support. Yeah, you can't you can take, uh, like, an uh, uh, invitation, let's say, on Facebook um, seriously, but I do still do them. I do still send it out because there are people that maybe don't see a flyer or aren't on my mailing list even though they totally should be because there's a lot of cool stuff that happens on it. But um, they don't see it. So I do still use, you know, the Internet, social media. I run all my own social media. So I'm the one who's who's spreading the news and sending out the invitations just because there might be someone that would have really wanted to go and then they, you know, missed it and then we're not in that city again for another year. So I think social media and advertising online is a huge deal, but I also think there are other ways too. Um you know, some people want to see a physical flyer hanging up at their local bar. Some people want to see, you know, different things. Uh, some people listen to the radio. Some people, you know, go to blogs to figure it out. So it's, it's there's just so many ways. So it's just 
figuring out where the people who want to see you are and just kind of trying to exhaust all options. Yeah. You know, there was a time in the music business where bands only had to worry about, you know, really just writing music, putting out that record in a concert. Today, you have to be like, you know, a, a barker at a three-ring circus and do everything. Do you feel that yeah. too many of the people on the outside, like, you know, club uh, club owners, promoters, rely too much on the band to handle stuff that they should be handling to, you know, alleviate you from that trouble? I think it depends, honestly, on on the person, you know, whoever you're working with. I've had so many different experiences. Um, where it's not just one way um, with this industry. So I really do a lot, um, and I have p- great people with me that help. But, yeah, it is it is like you're doing a million things. Um, I'm going to have our last rehearsal today before the show tomorrow, and I'm uh, trying to also make sure I pack up all the merch and make sure we're good with, you know, all the logistics and, and everything like that, and I'm handling that as well, which is fine. Because I'm used to it at this point, but sometimes it would be nice if, yeah, I could just – okay, let's make sure this song, you know, I, just to be in the music would be great. But that's not really how it works now. So you just need to be able to adapt. And if you can do both, and then once you get into that room and it's time to play, as long as that's all you're focused on at that moment, then the rest of it is just some nice organized chaos happening before and after. <laughs> that the organized chaos is always good. Yeah. Well, what do you got planned for the rest of this year? I mean, uh, are you looking to hook up on any tours? Is there anything that you can announce right now? I mean, we have the show tomorrow night. Doors open at 6 there at the Mercury Lounge on Houston Street. Anything coming after that? Yeah, um, I will be actually on Shiprock um, this year as a stowaway, um, going to be part of that jam group that's awesome on that boat. And then I'll be heading out to Nam in California to make some appearances over there this month. And then once I get back, we'll be working on uh, – touring for this year and and certain things happening which um, are not set in stone yet but as soon as they are we will definitely announce it that's great do you think you'll release anything is will there be a release this year do you think or if not maybe a full record maybe a single something to keep people uh keep people's appetite wet i mean i would love to uh unfortunately it's not only up to me so we gotta see what happens you know um I I love, like, as soon as I'm done with the song, I want everyone to hear it because I get so excited about it. So um, we're going to try to figure out a good plan that makes sense and that is good for the fans. And once we get that all nailed out, we'll have some some concrete dates for you. That's going to be great. Hey, madam, I can't thank you enough for talking to me today. Where's the best place for people to keep up if you find out what's going on, if they're not on your mailing list? Yeah, go to madammayhem.com. That's madam with an E at the end. Uh, that's where you can find everything. And uh, also, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook, Madam Mayhem, Twitter, Mayhem Official, Instagram, Madam Mayhem, um, all over the place. YouTube as well, if you want to see any of the video- music videos that we have out. But yeah, I'm running on social media. So definitely like the page or follow, say hello. I will answer. So, yeah. Uh, that's great. Listen, have a great time tomorrow. The Mercury Lounge is a pretty cool joint down on Houston Street. Uh, have a killer show. Thank you so much. Hope to see everyone out there tomorrow. You got to take care. Have a good day. Thank you so much.
tried Venom with Countess Bathory. I don't know if I can say Venom these days, or I have to say the classic Venom because you have Venom, you know, with Kronos front in the band, and you have Venom Inc. with uh, Demolition Man, Abaddon, and Mantis. I mean, this seems to be the the trend for 2017. I mean, it actually started about a year ago, but. You have having these two fractures of bands that are both active. I mean, we got rid of at least I think we got rid of all the LA guns that were out there. There's just the one LA guns now, uh, with Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis. But I did hear that Stephen Riley, who was playing drums with them, who wasn't an original member, is gonna do his version of it still. I don't know. We have the two versions of rats going right now. Uh more than I could think of. Uh, like I said, Venom. Uh, who else is going on out there? Oh, now you have Morbid, you have Morbid Angel out there playing in I Am Morbid, uh, which has David, which is David Vincent. I think somebody else in the band. I don't remember who the other play was. Uh, they're doing their version of Morbid Angel, the first couple of albums. And uh, on top of that, I mean, well, you know what? It's just so many of them. I'm just losing track. But, you know, with David uh, Vincent, he also is releasing his first country single this weekend. A lot of people like ranting and raving about that. On you know brave words and uh, and blah 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 about everybody raves about everything, but they're making this big thing out of it. And you know I'm, I'm personally not a fan of country music. Uh, whatever floats anybody's boat, I don't really care. It is an extreme going from uh, you know morbid angel to country music. But let's face it, AK Commencement did that from uh, Flotsam and Jetsam years ago, maybe over a decade ago when I think the band was on hiatus or he was out of the group for that little bit of time. Uh, he tried getting involved in country music. Uh, who else did that? Uh, Ron Kill did that years ago, and he still kind of bounces around between it, you know. Uh, but it's a lot. But you know, like the metal fans don't like that, so they got they kind of get turned off to it, and a lot of them will kind of abandon him or disappear. I don't know how well he's going to do in country when people find out he was like an extreme death metal type of band. I don't know if it'll work. Uh, but you know, whatever floats a guy's boat. You know, if you're a fan, you're a fan. If you don't like what he's doing, then don't listen to it. But that's just the way of the world these days. People are trying to make a living doing this. They're playing in multiple projects. Like I said, I was never a fan of country music. I just, it doesn't appease me in any way, shape, or form. Outside of the Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels. And my good friend Ryan Harmon, who's just an amazing musician. No matter what that guy plays or does, I will uh, always be a big fan of his. But, you know, to each his own. So, you know what? You don't dig what he's doing on the outside, then don't dig what he's doing on the inside, I guess. That's all I can say about that. All right. Um, we will have that Venom Inc. record out. Uh, I think uh, it was March or April. That's gonna come out. I believe there's a documentary that's coming out either with it or before it. I'm not too sure, but we'll find out real soon when that happens. All right. Let me see here. We're going to talk to Jacques in about a half hour. We'll get on some more music between now and then. How about we, uh, I don't know. You know what? Let's do some brand new Sepultura. Band's got a brand new record out right now. I, I believe we're going to have somebody on the show. I'm not sure who's doing interviews in the next couple of weeks, but we will have them on here. We've got a lot of great guests coming up in uh, February. We'll mention that at the end of this month. But uh, here's Phantom Self of the brand new Sepultura.
goddamn. Overkill's been around for over 35 years. You know, and to me, nothing beats those first three or four records. They are absolute classics. To this day, I play them over and over again. There's Rotten to the Core from the debut record way back in 1984, I want to say. Man, I love those guys back in the day. They have a brand new record coming out real soon. I think next month or maybe the month after that. I lost my release date, so I, sh- I should have printed up a new set. Uh, but The Grinding Wheel will be out soon. And uh, it kind of picks up where the last two records left off. Uh, the last three records have a little bit more of that classic overkill sound mix of what they've been doing over the years. And they haven't been bad records. Uh, better than anything they did in the 15 years prior to that, where I really kind of lost it for the band. Uh, but those earlier days, you know, we, I mean, I'm just telling you, we had Bobby Gustafsson on the show uh, a few months back. And I have to be honest with you, when he left the band, it definitely affected them sound-wise and song-wise. I mean, he's a great songwriter, and it shows in all the songs that he wrote on those first couple of records. They just couldn't recreate the sound and, you know, the he had when he left the band. And, you know, it should happen for a reason. You know, he's not with them anymore. Uh, but it definitely changed the sound of the band and the style. You know, and I guess, you know, they try to stay relevant, you know, over the last two decades in between Metal Maker, it's come back, you know, about 10 years ago or resurrecting itself 10 years ago and the early 80s. Uh, you know, a lot changed in between that time. They wanted to stay kind of like what was happening. And the music and, and the style kind of changed a little bit here and there to accommodate that. But as far as song structure goes and writing songs with good riffs and melodies, they kind of lost that after Bobby left the band. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'm still a fan of those guys, and I'm sure we'll have them on here in another month or two when the album comes out, and they are getting ready to do some promotion. Yes, uh, Iman was talking about the new uh, Jack Panza. Uh, they're getting ready to go into the studio real soon and officially record the record. They just got done demo and everything. And uh, if you have Mark Biotti on your uh, Facebook page, he kind of let a little bit of a slip uh, coming out of his uh, player on there so you kind of catch a little bit of what's coming with the new Jack Pans. It's definitely going to be a good record. I think especially since, you know, the Tyrant kind of left the band about a year or so ago. It was for a very short period of time, thankfully. I know Mark, we had him on the show back then. They were auditioning new singers to replace him. And, you know, that did kind of work in the past. I, I did like the albums. I didn't have uh, Mark, uh, the Tyrant on there. Uh, but he is, you know, a major part of Jack Panza. His voice is extremely unique, and he's a great singer. So I'm glad whatever happened, you know, maybe he just needed a little break or time to clear his head. He is working with Satan's Host and and uh, and a few other bands. So I guess maybe he got a little overwhelmed with everything and wanted to just do something different. But this is going to be a big Jack Panza record. I can guarantee you that. So when it comes out, the world will be excited. All right, let me see what we can do for everybody right now. Well, you know, before we were talking about, like, the two versions of bands, there seems to be more and more of them going on today, uh, where you have, you know, like, split members, both going out there playing the same songs. Some have the original singer, some have the original guitar player. Very few have more than that. Maybe the bass player is on one side, the drummer's on the other. But for the most part, they're mostly, you know, uh, other musicians that were brought in to fill up the ranks. And, you know, I remember years ago when, when these festivals in Europe started, I thought they were the greatest thing in the world because they were reuniting a lot of, you know, classic underground bands uh, that kind of didn't get a lot of attention a day, which is, like we said, cult classics, and they were bringing them back. And at first, they were getting most of the original members, and I know it's difficult. You know, 25 years after a band breaks up, some members are dead. Some aren't into music at all anymore. A lot of those bands maybe were only in the demo phases back then. They never even had a record out. So, you know, most of those guys kind of disappeared. But then it got to the point where they were getting just one original member. And, and sometimes it wasn't even like the main key member of the band. And we had Alan Tecchio on last week. Where he was talking about how Hades was supposed to go over to Germany to, or, or Greece. I don't remember which one he said. 
to play a festival, and him and Dan Lorenzo had a little bit of a falling out, and Dan backed out. So, you know, Alan didn't know what to do, and they're like, no, we just want you anyway, and you just come over here, and you just play the first two records. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. I mean, think about it now. That's what's kind of ruining and killing these great reunions, what should be these great reunions. I, you know, if you can get three, three members of a five-piece band back together, or even two key members of a four-piece band, that's good enough. You got to have the original singer if he's still alive or in the band, in my opinion. It has to be the original singer, especially with bands where, you know, the vocalists were, you know, the main part of the front man or the, that vocalist's voice kind of defined the band. Uh, when you bring up a reunited band from the 80s that has only the bass player or the drummer, most people don't care. I mean, they look like they get excited about it. I know as a real diehard fan, I want to see that band. Fifth Angel is playing this year. I think the drummer and the guitar player are the only two original members. They got a brand new singer. I mean, the guy sounds great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear the original singer of that band, especially if he's around. Make it work or make it happen. That's just how I feel about it. So I think more and more of these festivals are trying to reunite bands with one member, and it's just making a mockery. And to me, it's just disgraceful to have that. You know, I, I don't really care for it. Especially with a lot of these bands, they're just looking, hey, you know what? We haven't played together in 25 years. Let me get a couple of guys together. I'll get a free vacation over to Germany for a couple of days. My hotel and airfare paid for. And, you know, that's all they care about. And most of them don't reunite or do anything after that. It's just that one show they want to play. Now you have Ross the Boss. Great guitar player. He's in Death Deal. He's got a lot going on right now. He has the Ross the Boss band, which he put together quite a few years ago. I believe the backing band or the rest of the members that were playing with him were in like a Man of War type cover band in whatever country they came from. But they put out two great records. And I kept hoping they would do more touring and, and get out and play or do a couple of key shows here and there. It just didn't happen for whatever reason. Ross got involved in a lot of other bands and projects after that. But now, he's got a whole new lineup of the Ross the Boss Band out there. Last year, some festival brought him over there to do like the, you know, to do the entire Battle Hymns record. So now you got Ross the Boss going out there playing Manowar. So he did write them. They're not cover songs. They're his songs. He did write them. But he's out there with a whole band that have nothing to do with Manowar playing Manowar songs. But you still have the original Manowar. I know they're retiring. They're packing it in. But they're still out there playing. Now, if I want to go hear Manowar, especially, you know, the early stuff like Battle Hymns, I, I, you know, I got to be honest with you. I want to hear Eric Adams singing it. The guy Ross had playing with him at that festival was amazing. The guy sounded great. But I can't get stoked up about just seeing Ross the Boss on stage playing Manowar songs when you have Eric Adams, Joey DeMello, and you actually have Donny Hanzik, who's the original drummer from the first record, and, you know, in the demo days back with them. I mean, he's been back with them for years. You know, Carl Logan's been there a long time, too. Yeah, he don't have the same sound as Ross the Boss. But, I mean, I'd rather see that. i got to be honest with you. I, I love Ross and what he does. But, you know, his new band has Mike LaPond on bass. We spoke about last week. Mike is like every band in the world. Great guy. You have uh, Rhino on drums who played with Manuel for a little bit. And I don't even know who the singer is in this version of it. But they're going out there now. And they're doing the first two Manuel records. I believe it's just the first two Manuel records. It could be all the records that Ross were on, but... No, I mean, it, it's just ridiculous if you ask me. I know he wants to do his own songs, but maybe when the Ross the Boss band plays live, he makes it some of your classic man, or the way Udo did it with the Accept and other artists that have left, you know, prominent bands do it with the solo stuff. Having two versions of that, I don't know. I just don't get it. Boggles my mind, shakes my head. I can't figure it out. All right, but who am I, right? I'm just some lowly DJ on an internet radio show. What the hell do I know? Just a fan for a long time, I guess. All right, let's get back to the music. Here's Dover Trench. This is off their demo. Tidy's Vice. Tidy's Vice. Tidy's Vice. 
Out of Philly, Anvil Death with Anvil Bitch with Life After Death. Excuse me. Uh, let's get Jacques on the line. I ran a couple of minutes late there, so uh, let's connect them. Hang on, everybody. Jacques speaking. Jacques, it's Mike. How are you? Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm, I'm doing, doing great. Fine. Thank you. Good, man. It's great to have on today. Just ran a couple of minutes late there. I apologize. Hey, not a problem. Anytime. Uh, you got listen. Such a big fan of your music over the years. When I heard that you were putting this band together, I got real happy because it was a long time in between Exciter and this band that you were kind of active musically. Indeed, indeed. Uh, there, there's been uh, at least an um, eight-year hiatus between the last gig that I did back in 2006 with Exciter. I was in Germany, and the time that I started working with Assassin's Blades. Wow. Was it kind of self-imposed, or did you just need a break from music or nothing interested you at that time? Um, it's a, a whole bunch of factors together. First of all, um, when, when I decided for the last time that you know I had it with Exciter, not that I was fed up with the music or the business, it's just that you know there were some things that were not working you know, the way I liked and uh, that were going against, like uh, Exciter's uh, pursuit of objectives and stuff and whatever. Um, but as soon as I quit Exciter, back here in Ottawa, there's not much like of a scene, especially for metal. So I had to basically um, just concentrate on other things, mainly like uh, work and stuff. And uh, I had uh, just married with uh, my wife, whom I met in Switzerland, but she's coming from uh, from France. And I figured, okay, from now on, I'm just going to concentrate on working on my marriage, working on my professional life. And if there's something happening with music, then good. But I didn't really pursue anything per se. Like I didn't make any big efforts, you know, like to um, play with a band or whatever. So um, it's not that I was pushed to that. It's just, you know, no great opportunity happened and I didn't look for one. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. I mean, with Assassin's Blade, the other guys were all from Sweden. Uh, were these men that you that you knew personally or were involved with sometime in, in the past with music, or did they kind of approach you about this, or how did you guys all meet up? Well, you know, your your first assumption about knowing them personally is the right one. Um, basically, um, uh, Peter Wahlberg is the uh, the bass player. Uh, basically has been like a fan of Exciter for quite a long time. And he had put together this um, this website for Exciter, which is called um, longlivedaloud.com. And uh, basically we stayed in touch for quite a while as of um, maybe two, 2000 or, um, or so, uh, around that time. And um, basically he did such a, a lot of great things, you know, for us that uh, every time we had a chance to... Uh, to meet him when we were playing in Europe and stuff like we would we'd just jump on it so like and I and back in the days he was just a kid you know and uh, but he was really smart very talented I really liked him like he was level-headed and stuff and eventually you know like he started playing music started playing in bands uh, he also plays uh, and founded uh, this other sort of doom metal band called Void, uh, Void Moon 
and I listened to that stuff, and I figured, like, wow, this is pretty cool. And at one point, you know, like, he was he hooked up with uh, David, who had played with uh, Portrait, actually, another uh, Swedish band. Yeah. And uh, they started working on some songs together. And then, you know, one night, you know, <laughs> they start, started drinking and stuff, you know, like going, okay, uh, whatever, partying and listening to their stuff that they had uh, recorded roughly. And they figured, ah, you know what, you know, Jacques' voice would be perfect for this music and stuff. And at one point, you know, one would say, oh, yeah, maybe we should call him. And then this, the, the other guy said, yeah, well, you know, like, um, maybe we should, but uh, I doubt that he might uh, agree or whatever, or, you know, you know, want to do something. And then eventually, of course, like I, I knew uh, Peter, so he sent me an email and I, I said, okay, well, I was going to say yes right away, but just to be more formal, I said, you know, like, uh, send me this stuff. And actually, the stuff was better than what I was expecting, so I decided to jump right on it. So I flew over to his house, went to his studio, we recorded the vocals to have the stuff, and then we pretty much figured, okay, we have a band, and just uh, um, pursue this until we get a record deal. Before they contacted you, within, say, a few months of you knowing that this was even coming about and happening, were you starting to get itchy about singing again and getting back into a band, or was it just this, you know, offer and what you heard that kind of said, you know what, I'm ready again. This is this is it. The thing is, you know, like I had already started when it's it's I don't know if it's just must must have been like just a coincidence, but uh, I had started singing already because you know when you haven't sung a note like in eight years, you, you just don't just start singing like that, like and you figure that uh, things are going to be happening. Night and that you're going to be in top shape within two weeks, you know. But I had been singing for a little while, uh, not very long, but I tried to put a band together with uh, Rick Charon, actually the drummer for uh, Exciter for a long time, and now with uh, Doc Ministry. Um, and um, we, we, we tried, actually. We had a good guitarist and stuff. We decided, you know, like to uh, write some new songs or whatever. That guitarist had, you know, some pretty interesting stuff, but uh, to, to Rick, um, who likes like very much uh, the, the thrash style and whatever, I, he thought that uh, it was metal, but maybe a little too progressive. And you know, we worked together for maybe nine or ten months, and then you know things fell apart because we figured, okay, I guess we we will not agree on the style. So once I I decided to go back, you know, like well to start working with um, Assassin's Blade. Um, I had been singing. I was not top shape yet, but uh, I, I had been singing for a while. So it's it's something that had been missing for quite a, a quite a bit, and I guess I just needed like uh, a good occasion to kick me in the butt and uh, get me going. And you know, as soon as I started working with Assassin's Blade, then the interest in singing came back. You know, like, and I just went like, oh my god, and and the, you know, the voice is really in very good shape and stuff, and it just got better with time. So uh, yes, it's um, sometimes you know it just takes a, a little something, a little a project you know to work with, to uh, end up getting back in shape and uh, and getting the interest going. Yeah, you know if you think back like two or three decades ago, having band members from different countries is almost an impossible thing to to make happen. Today it is a lot easier because you have the internet, you have you know digital files that can go back and forth, but yet you still flew over there to be with the band when you recorded which I kind of like because I think there's something missing. I mean, there's a lot you can do the other way, and you can make great records that way, but I feel like when the band's in the room together, there's just a vibe that takes place that happens that you can't kind of recreate, you know, swapping files back and forth. I, I agree. 
I agree. But in this case, you see, like, uh, all the music has been written by the band, and, and the band played together for the whole, the entire music has been played together, rehearsed, uh, written, whatever, and recorded by the band as a unit. Um, I recorded, of course, half the stuff, you know, like, with the rest of the band, and we, we had plenty of time to discuss, you know, like, we spent a whole week day in and day out pretty much like days and almost nights we had like pretty long days at the end you know, like my my vocal cords were pretty um pretty tired but anyhow like and, and we had plenty of time to try a whole bunch of things you know to define the style to define exactly what we wanted to produce together so when i got back in canada and um started working on the other half of the vocals, which I recorded with uh, Manfred Leidecker, actually, the engineer who recorded, you know, most of the um, Exciter stuff that was uh, the Exciter um, albums that were recorded after um, 1995 or 96. Um, then, you know, like, I had a fairly good idea, and Manfred knows exactly what I can do. I recorded so many albums with him, you know, like, that uh, he knows exactly when it's time to push me, when it's time to just say, okay, that's it, you've reached your ability, the maximum of your abilities and stuff, and it was lots of fun, too. So, basically, even the stuff that I did on my own, actually, I had a very good idea of what the, of what the other guys in Assassin's Place wanted, and at the same time, it was still a very uh, collaborative effort because, like, we would send the tracks back. They would listen to it and then make some comments. And then whenever there were there were some changes that we needed to do, then, uh, you know, we uh, we decided to, okay, we're going to do it. And, and everything, you know, ended up working quite well, and everybody was fairly satisfied. Yeah. What I love about Agents of Mystification is that, it, it, it can please all the fans from pretty much every era of heavy metal. I mean, there's a little bit of something in there for everybody. But it's got that classic old-school vibe, but it has a lot of what's going on today. It seems like a perfect mix of everything that you should love about heavy metal. Was there a conscious effort to write that way, or is this just where you guys were at, you know, musically? Well, conscious effort, if you mean by that, uh, was that the objective? I guess not. Um, you know, you, you have to keep in mind, and anyone who listens to... Um, Agents of Mystification has to keep in mind that this this is a very spontaneous album. You know, this stuff was writ written, first of all, musically and the lyrics by two guys. David and Peter started, you know, like conceiving the whole idea, concept, whatever, together. And then eventually, you know, like they got uh, one of the, a, a vocalist actually that um, used to play in uh, another of uh, Peter's band, which is called uh, Cult of the Fox. He recorded some vo uh, guide tracks for the vocals, and they, they worked quite a bit on that too. But, you know, he sang it, but then I, I would end up, me, who has like a totally different vocal style, was going to end up singing it. So and we didn't know at first, you know, is there going to be an album? Is there gonna, is there going to be a band coming out of that? We we just went, okay, let's have fun, let's write this, and, and see. So it was not really a conscious effort. I guess like this this whole thing came from from the guts, you know, like and 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 we started to gel afterwards. So um, yeah, it's it's. I would say that uh, this album is very intuitive. And uh, not much planning in this. Uh, I even like we made so many mistakes. You know, like in in the way we uh, we planned or did the stuff. Like it, it, sometimes it was totally backward. Whatever. It's almost like a little miracle that we ended up with um, with an album with that. But you know, we worked so much at it, and and we 
we enjoyed it so much that uh, eventually we just were willing to put all the efforts that were required to end up with a fairly good album. The production in the end, you're like, of course, it, it, it could be better, and we agree with that, and that's something that we're going to be uh, working on for the next album that's already uh, being written at this point. You know, that's amazing because when you think about it, this record's not even out you know, a year yet. It came out, I think, last April, uh, and you're already working on the next record. So is it really important, like for, I hate to say a new band because you guys have all been around for a long time making music, but for a, a new band in name, is it important to get a new record out right away after the next one so people know that you're here, you're going to keep doing this, or do you kind of want time in between them so you know the first album could grow on people? Or do you kind of have to hit them today with one new album after the next well, you're absolutely right, Mike. Um, in this case, you know, like, and you can consider Assassin's Blade a new band because, like, regardless of the experience that we might have had, like, uh, I, I, I was out of the scene for nearly ten, 10 years and stuff, you know, like, and now I'm coming back, and a lot of people are happy about it, and me first, of course, and uh, my bandmates. But, you know, yes, this is a brand new band. And in this kind of business, basically, you have to be in people's face. Uh, most of the time, if you want people to not forget about you, because let's keep in mind, and you, if someone knows about that, it's you, Mike. You know, like there's so many different bands, like the the, the market is flooded with tons of very good bands, actually. And um, so if you want people to keep, you know, if you want to stay in people's mind and stuff, you have to come up with something new. And of course, like playing live is extremely important. And in this case, it's we're sort of a catch-22 because... If you want to play live, there's got to be some record sale and some interest and enough material. And in our case, you know, um, it's hard to play because more than likely we're going to have to play in Europe. And uh, we're going to be able to start playing in festivals and shows and stuff. We have a few things planned already for uh, the end of uh, 2017 and 2018 even. But we figured that with if, if we can release an album, uh, a, a second album in 2017, people will know actually that we mean business, that we're just we're not just you know this this one album band. And as soon as they can, we're preparing something for Sweden as well. You know, like in 2017, we want to. Uh, maybe uh, shoot, you know, like uh, the, the, the live performance, and then eventually come up with some videos and stuff to to promote, but also to tell the band that yes, we're going to be playing some gigs, absolutely. And the second album needs to come out because yes, there's going to be some. It, it it's going to generate more interest, and then the live performance will come up right after that, and then it should get the ball rolling for sure. Oh, that's going to be great. I mean, how's Canada these days musically, especially for like hard rock and metal? I mean, it was amazing back in the day, and there's still a lot of great bands that come from there. But is it vibrant enough to sustain a band today, or because it's so big and bands are spread out for so many places, is the scene kind of spread out also? Well, the thing is, you know, like, <laughs> um, if if I were to live in in Toronto or in Montreal, I'd probably have like uh, a lot more possibilities. But even then. Um, it, it's hard to sell um, metal here in Canada. So, and, and I guess that uh, the bands form according to the interest and stuff. Like here in Ottawa, for example, like if you're an original metal band, there's maybe one or two venues that you can actually play, and they're probably like uh, 150, 200 seaters. You know, like and and you know that's about it. And if you're a local band, more than likely you won't even get paid. You know, like you just uh, uh, play a gig for the exposure and stuff. So the the industry 
here is not happening. There is no uh, rec- you know record distribution, record labels that could actually, you know, maybe there are some, but they're, they're, they have so limited contacts and, and latitude that basically they cannot reach the market. And for us, like the, the market is not here in Canada, actually. Record sales has never been good, not even when I was back in Exciter. Record sales, interest, gigs never really happened in Canada. Uh, and it's not because for lack of metal fans, there are some metal fans here, and I come from the province of Quebec, like I'm French-speaking uh, originally, so, and in Quebec, there's a, there's a lot of uh, metal fans, but again, uh, com- coming up, like, even as a local, and even more so as a local, you know, like, you looked at, and you just go, like, oh, yeah, just another local band, another local artist, and it, it's hard, you know, like, but... Uh, you know, funny enough, you know, like a, we get lots of, uh, we got lots of uh, interest from uh, record labels over in Europe, and it was not a problem for us to uh, to deal with uh, one of them and get a record deal, and Pure Steel Records, you know, like is not, you know, your last record uh, label. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they have a lot of experience and stuff, you know, like uh, they're, you know, fairly good and this and that. So, um, you know, uh, for us, for me as a Canadian anyway, like I don't see a scene here. Maybe I'm blind. Maybe I'm not getting in touch with it. Maybe I should get out more, but I'm not seeing one. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds kind of discouraging when you think about it that way, especially if, you know, you do want to make music your life or a career or have a band. I mean, I guess in any genre of music, it's probably like that also out there. But it's kind of sick. Is where do the next, you know, young kids or young bands come from if there's no scene? It's like in, it's like in the sports. You know, you have the minor league teams, you know, to, to nurture them, to get them to the majors, to the professionals. It, you know, it's sort of the same in music. If there's not a scene that is to support it or sustain it, it has to make it difficult for new music and new bands to get recognized, to come out. Oh, absolutely. It, it makes it, well, it was always difficult here in Canada, like even for Exciter when it came out, like in the heyday of, of heavy metal, you know, like uh, basically in Canada, like what, what do you have, like in terms of heavy metal? There are, there are bands that I don't know, but basically there, there's a handful of them. You have Anvil that's still going, you know, like, and, and, you know, because those guys, they have that in their blood, you know, like, and they're still going on. Yeah. Uh, there was, but there were, there was, some of them were really good. They just disappeared. Like, uh, uh, Sword, for example, from Montreal, those guys came up like with two strong albums, but the problem was, you know, like they were signed with a big record label in Montreal, whatever. They got the big distribution, this and that. When the second one came up, it was towards the end of the 80s, early 90s. That's when music started changing in North America. And then the, that was like the uh, alternative trend that started, you know, with the Pearl Jams and all that kind of stuff. And basically, you know, he, he, there was a... There was a... Um, a decline also in Europe, but the decline here for heavy metal, uh, true metal, whatever, you know, back in the days where there were not so many different kinds of metal, you know, like it was in total decline in North America. And since it was not very strong already in Canada, then it, it became like almost non-existent. Now it, it's, it started again in Europe, but here it's, it's not really picking up. Uh, there's, there's a few pockets of fans here and there, uh, but, um, you know, it, it's very hard for bands because they, they have basically to go to European or American labels and promoters to, to get their stuff promoted. 
Yeah, yeah, it is rough. And you know, you're talking about Exciter, and you know, the first time obviously I heard of you musically is when you joined Exciter. Me being a fan of the band from the early '80s when they came out, you know, I was like a diehard fan. And you know, they had the rings and outs for many years long before you joined them. You know, Dan was in the band, then John was out. John was in the band, Dan was out. You know, Alan was in the band, he was out. It was many fractures of the band <laughs> before you got there. And I remember mid '90s, like when you hook up with them and you join. You know, that was a rough time for heavy metal everywhere because, like I said, grunge was big at that time. A lot of the bands that were around the 80s just weren't around anymore playing. So to hear that Exciter was coming back again after coming back a few times before that, I was thrilled because, you know, it's a classic band coming back out at a time when nothing else is really happening. But it had to be rough for you because I remember people saying, ah, you know, without Dan Beale singing, it's not Exciter. And I'm like, you know, even when Dan was in the band, they had Rob DeGroote come in and sing on a record when he was in the band. So <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, the dark command comes out and I was like, holy shit, this sounds great. And to me, Excited was back. And it didn't matter that Dan wasn't singing. You know, listen, the original Excited lineup, it's classic. You're not going to beat it. But when you joined, the band took on a whole new life, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, you know, like, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. Again, I, I see that uh, you know you know your metal and you know your history of metal. Uh, Back in 96, when, uh, well, 95, actually, when, well, I knew John already, because when he first left Exciter in 85, two years, three years later, he wanted to form a, a new band that was called, back in the days, Black Star. And um, I went for the auditions. He took me. We started working. Back in the days, I was uh, writing all the lyrics and stuff. And we had a pretty good band, actually. We played one gig, but, you know, like, uh, things didn't pan out. Like, that's, that's back in the days where John had quite a temper and stuff. And, you know, like, and at one point, I just went, like, okay, no, I'm not going to put up with that. But then, you know, like, I, I love John like a brother. So, you know, like, it's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's, I, I have so much respect for him and stuff that when he called me back after we tried to reform the Black Star project afterwards, that's back when, as you said, you know, like metal was pretty down, like uh, in the gutter and stuff. No one cared really about it. And then that didn't pan out. He went back with Exciter. And then when he came back from that mini tour with uh, Rage, actually, this time it was like Dan who didn't want to... Um, have anything to do with Exciter and the music business per se. So when he called me, I didn't hesitate one minute because I thought, okay, you know, you know what? I'm going to be singing and playing with John. I know we're going to have fun and stuff, and we'll see what happens. But then, you know, like there was um, Hervé Elbow, like from uh, Osmos Productions, who uh, got in touch with John actually. And he uh, told him, listen, you know, like, I've been a, uh, an Exciter fan since the beginning. You know, like, I'm going to sign you for a few albums if you want. I don't give a shit what you're going to send me. I just trust you blindly and do whatever you want, but come up with something and I'll publish it. So that was quite, quite a big incentive for us, you know, like, to work on new songs and stuff and uh, recruit, like, uh, the other bands and whatever. But I remember back in the days, Everybody here in Ottawa was telling me, like, what the hell are you doing, man? You're wasting your time. Exciter is dead. No one cares about Exciter anymore. And to a certain point, you know, like, uh, they, they thought that because they had never heard of Exciter, like, in the last couple of years, and they thought, okay, metal is dead, so Exciter is dead. But you know what? <laughs> we were not dead at all. We were just going to resolute to produce something really strong or whatever, and then, yes, we were for about a year and a half, recorded, and 1996, here you go, like, we came up with um, that 
96 or 97, actually. This is the 30th, um, yeah, 30th yeah. and 20th anniversary of uh, this album, and uh, it ended up being quite, quite uh, an experience. We played it from the guts. We had no plans at all. We just figured, okay, John was leading the way. He was writing the lyrics. We worked together on. We didn't know exactly what we we're going to come up with, and then here you go. I remember like Hervé was listening to the album when we first sent him the the, um, the tape, and he was jubilating. This guy was so happy, man. He figured, fuck, this is really cool and stuff. And it was a, actually a strong album. Absolutely. I mean, you know, because you guys played together in Blackstar, like it says before, the excited thing came around again. I guess you kind of knew like what you were getting into being with John in the band and other members like that. Do you think that going back to under the, using the excited name, I know you said it cause the offer was there. What's the right thing to do? Or maybe you should have put these albums out under a different name or under the black star name. Or was it strictly because that offer was made to have the albums put out? Because it's the same with black Sabbath, many versions of black Sabbath over the years, all of them. Great. Some people don't consider it the, the you know, classic black Sabbath, but amazing records. Do you think this album would have stood on its own? It was a hard time, don't forget, the 90s. Um, do you want an honest answer? <laughs> I don't think sure. so. <laughs> as, as a new band, I, I think that people would not have cared all that much. You know, like, uh, and this is, you know what, in the end, we would have come up exactly with the same album. Under a different name, people would not, you know, I, I know that some people thought, you know, like that, okay, this is not Excite or whatever, but you know what, John, just the same, John was to Exciter what Tony Iommi was and still is to Black Sabbath. So it doesn't really matter who sings, who plays bass, who plays drums. Basically, the sound and the energy from Exciter comes from John's guitar playing and John's um, riff writing. And, uh, you know, the, the way I was singing, basically, he told me, basically, it was almost like uh, calling a pizza, whatever, like, and then getting whatever you want as a topics. Like, he was telling me, okay, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And he knew I could do it because, as you said, you know, like of the, uh, the Black Star experience. And then, you know, like, he, he basically got me to sing the way he wanted, the way he was imagining the voice for each song and and you see that even like it's it's more obvious on an album like uh, Blood of Tyrants. Blood of Tyrants basically sometimes I sound like uh, the guy from Metal Church like uh, sometimes I sound like Udo, sometimes I'm going to sound like uh Bruce Dickinson, sometimes like Rob Halford. You know, and and it's I, I didn't do that on purpose in the sense that I wanted to sound like someone, but John was just telling me I want this type of voice, this type of voice. And basically we just worked with that. It ended up like, you know, you go from one song to the other, you, sometimes you get the impression that it's not the same vocalist, but, you know, it, it was all me, basically. Yeah. But yes, no, to go back to your uh, question, no, I don't think it would have worked, because Exciter was a name that actually uh, we could use legitimately, but that helped us uh, sell the band and create some interest for sure. Oh, obviously. But, you know, when you think about it, I mean, is that sort of like ignorance on the fans' part or the listeners' part where... You know, like I said, that album would have sounded that way no matter what name we put it on because it's, you know, how we wrote and what we wrote. So I, I'm saying to myself, you know what? If I played to the album and said, what do you think? It was like, that's amazing. And then I say, well, that's Black Star. If I played to you later on and I said, that's exciting, okay, now I love it. 
it's sort of ignorant on the fans' part for not giving any band a chance because they don't recognize the name. When I first heard when I first heard of Assassin's Blade, I didn't know who was in the band. With the internet today, just click a button. I said, oh, Jacques, it's got to be good. You know, because I know what you did in the past, but <laughs> you give it a shot at least. People don't even give things a shot anymore. Um, I Yes, I guess it's just human nature. Uh, and, you know, people who work in publicity and stuff, they know that. They, they know that people are into um, – safe bets you know like they're willing to bet but not too much you know like uh, people are not much of gamblers uh, some heavy metal fans are are like yourself you know like uh, uh, are willing to listen to new bands even promote them and stuff and god knows that we need people like you you know like and and all those people like who have like uh, those uh, red web radio stations and this and that because you know at least you know like it, it gives us a chance to to get known and sometimes to emerge from from this sea of new bands or and established bands but the thing is you know like um the fans are like that because they're human beings you know like and i i i would hate to think that you know they're they're being uh stubborn or just being I don't know, open, you know, narrow-minded or whatever. Like, I guess that there's so many bands to choose from that eventually you just go, okay. Like, most of the people who had an interest in uh, Assassin's Blades were people who knew me from Exciter and figured, okay, you know, we were curious to see. We haven't seen him, like, in a long time. Let's go yeah. what it sounds like. And ended up going, like, oh, yeah, it sounds pretty good. So, but what, what was I in their mind? I was the guy from Exciter, so that was um, that was uh, sort of a safe bet for them. But if 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 I had just been like this new unknown guy, you know, like uh, saying with Assassin's Blade, see, maybe not even half the people that started listening to Assassin's Blade would have paid attention to us, and maybe we we wouldn't have like. Uh, over a thousand likes, you know, like on our web page, and we, yeah. maybe we would have like a uh, a record deal with Pure Steel Records and stuff, you know, because that's the way it happened. You know, Andreas uh, from Pure Steel sent us like uh, a message on our web page, and he said, "Yeah, geez, like I'm I'm really happy to see that one of my favorite singers like is is back in business and stuff." <laughs> and that's basically how we we got that gig with Pure Steel because he knew me already and he really liked the stuff that I that I used to do. So. Well, well, I know, like you said, you know, you didn't just pick up the microphone again for the little years and it all came back. There was a lot of work getting back into shape vocally. But I tell you, you didn't miss a beat on this new record. You sound just as good, if not better, than you did back in the excited days. You didn't lose anything all those years in between. If, if you were, Mike, if you were, uh, you talked this time. If you were to compare the stuff, you know, like my vocals in Assassin's Blaze with the one that with Exciter, how would you compare them if they're a little bit different? They are, they are, I mean, they're completely different in my opinion. I think you sound like, I mean, vocally, it sounds like two different things going on uh, from the excited to now. But as far as like range goes and, and what you're producing, it's, you, sound, you sound in better shape now vocally than you did back then. But excited was a different sound than band than Assassin's Blade. So, you know, what you sang back then kind of fit into what excited was doing. And then there was when you put out the New Testament where you re-recorded the older excited stuff that Dan did. That was a challenge I thought upon itself back then. And, you know, you kind of made those songs your own as much as you could compared to another singer doing them. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. The thing is, you know, like uh, my natural vocal style is, is more of a mix, 
if we want to use reference, not that I'm saying that I'm as good or whatever, it's, it's, it's just for reference. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a, my biggest influence uh, are uh, Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford. You know, sometimes it's quite obvious, but you know, like I, I like singing clean, high falsetto and stuff, whatever, powerful, yes. But I mean, usually uh, the, the exciter style, you know, like um, was a little bit ex- more extreme. I even. Oh yeah! Like back in the days, like a, a review of one of our albums, and he was talking about vocal work as uh, Jacques Belanger's acrobatics, and he was not far off the mark actually because they were somehow like acrobatics. But John requested that because he wanted the vocals to match the aggression of the music. But naturally, uh, what you hear on Assassin's Blade is is closer to my natural style, obviously. Yeah. Well, I tell you, when I sometimes when I play Blood of Tyrants, I think you got to pop a blood vessel in your brain. <laughs> no, no, no. I was top shape back in those days, so I could do it, no problem, even live actually. So. <laughs> uh, because that song, that, I mean, that's like at the high end. I'm like, damn. <laughs> I play that song. I I tried singing it in the car, so I was like, man, my head's spinning. <laughs> Yes. Well, the thing is also like, you know, at one point when I decided to get back into the singing, uh, you know, sort of uh, activity, I, I wanted, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to confess that, you know, I, I, when I started singing again, I wanted to improve my vocal technique. The vocal technique that I used in Exciter is not optimal. And uh, I had to adapt it live, but not enough because I wanted to sound like, you know, close to the record still. But, you know, th- that was not good for me. It's, it's not, you know, sound vocal technique. And eventually I figured, okay, like, I, I'm, I'm going to sing along to vocalists that I really enjoy so I can actually reshape my technique and my vocal approach. And then I started singing more to Bruce Dickinson and and another one that I was singing to like almost constantly every day, and I still do actually when I do my vocal work and practice and stuff, Tony Martin. Tony Martin from Black wow. Sabbath is Great. to me one of the ultimate vocalists. Yep, I agree. Yep. One of the best Absolutely. out there, and he doesn't get enough attention, at least the attention he deserves. Oh, absolutely. You know, like I listen to his stuff all the time, and like it's the range. Like, um, he goes from really low, he can sing like Dio stuff, uh, even live, you know, sings the Dio stuff, but he's going to sing like, uh, he reminds me a little bit of David Coverdale, but not as nasal. To me, like, the vocal technique of Tony Martin is optimal, and for heavy metal, he has the range, he has the emotions. And uh, to me, it's it's just uh, nothing short of wonderful. Oh, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, Jacques, you've been in a lot of bands over the years. I mean, what do you think is the most difficult part of being in a band? Is it the disagreements that come up with the music, you know, the business part of it, the labels, or just the band members getting along? I mean, you had your in and with Excited. That's old news. I don't want to get into that. You've got Assassin's Blade now. Is it more difficult dealing with the personalities of the members of a band than the actual music itself or the business part of it? Oh, that's a good question. The thing is, you know, like it's uh, sometimes I, I I just curse at the fact that I'm not living in Sweden or that Peter and Dave and Marcus, the drummer, are not living here in Canada because I get the feeling that I would get along truly fine, great, you know, with those guys because 
you know, we see eye to eye on a whole bunch of things. It's possible to discuss. They have no prejudice. They're not narrow-minded, whatever. They're just in it for the music, for the fun of playing music and stuff. And this is so refreshing. Playing with those guys was really cool, you know, like uh, the studio work that I did with them. With Exciter, well, it's it's tough to say because, like, yes, the reason why, you know, I really enjoyed the gigs. I really enjoyed, actually, the studio work. Touring was a little difficult because there's a couple of members in the band with whom, like, I, I could not get along. And, and but, you know, you go with the flow and you do whatever you can, you know, like, but during practice and stuff, you know, like, uh, we were not disciplined enough. I, I saw a lot of potential in Exciter, but then I went like, my God, you know, like, sometimes I was just going, okay, but, uh, you know, let's quit wasting time. You know, like for example, I, there's there's um, one of those live uh, performances that's on YouTube there. Like, I'm announcing, like, an album, uh, a song, actually, uh, In Moral Fear, that came out on uh, Thrash Speed Burn. So I, I'm I was I'm the one actually Thrash Speed Bird. I'm the one who worked on all the vocals for those songs, but I quit just before the time that you know we uh, we were about to record it and stuff. But you know I was telling the guys this this song was already ready in 2005, and at mid 2006 we were not about to go in the studio anymore, and we were wasting so much time that I got pissed off, and then I just went like, come on guys, let's let's get going. We this album has to come out and then you know like everybody starts going oh Jacques fuck you know like yeah stop being so stuck up and this and that this needs to be fun and stuff as well if we had so much fucking fun we'd be working our ass off day in and day out and it was not happening and at one point you know like uh, I thought that John whom I love again as a brother missed a good opportunity here to uh, just be the true leader of the man and to say yes, you know, because basically he was trying to convey stuff to the other two and the other two were just jamming and stuff, wasting time or whatever. And instead of getting annoyed and pissed off, he sided with them when I was telling, you know, fuck, you know, John is trying to tell us something here. You know, he's trying to explain something. Let's just, you know, do it, you know, instead of wasting time. And then at one point, I went like, okay, we don't see eye to eye with this. Like, um, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be part of this if we're just going to be wasting my time and, and everybody else's time. Because Exciter had so much potential. But, you know, what can I say? Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, you got to strike while the iron is hot. You got to make things happen. I mean, they put out two great original records. They did the re-recorded version of the old songs. Thrash Speed Burn, man, now that you say it, I would have loved to have heard you on the vocals on those songs. Kenny Winters was singing with them on those records. I would have loved to have heard you sing, you know, those versions of the songs. And do you think it's just a matter of people being lazy at the time in the band, or were they just too lackadaisical about what they had to do to make things happen, to move that project and that band along? Well, Mike, you know, the only thing I can tell you in this case, I don't know exactly what happened, what went through their mind and stuff. I, I can always try to guess. But from the attitude that I saw, I guess that people were becoming like a little complacent and stuff. And, you know, you have to keep in mind, put everything in context. You know, like I had a job that got me to travel the world pretty much. You know, like, and so I was not practicing with the band as much as I should. And uh, whenever we were together, I figured, well, okay, well, let's just take the time and the opportunity to 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 get forward, to progress, you know, like, and and whatever. And I I I had the feeling that John was mellowing out, 
you know, the, the bad temper that he had back in the days because he was so ambitious and, and eager to produce something and be the best and bring Exciter or whatever Blackstar like to as far as he could, you know, like, uh, I guess he, he was mellowing out and his attitude was like, okay, well, let's be a little bit more resilient and maybe a little bit more understanding and let's turn this into like something that's going to be fun. And then I figured, well, fun, yes, but to me, working, when you work on something that you really enjoy, working is fun, you know? So I, I guess we didn't see eye to eye on that. But the thing is, you know, like, I think that at the root of every conflict that happened between John and I, I think there's very strong mutual respect between John and I. John knows what I can do. He really appreciated me and respected me as a vocalist and as a person. But the big difference that got us in so much uh, conflict is it's just like in any couple, for example. You know, John is very uh, emotional, uh, speaks from the guts, like, uh, and I'm, I'm on, on my end, I'm very rational. Um, you know, I, uh, I analyze everything, you know, like I, I take everything from, you know, like a very cerebral point of view and, and that's where we clashed most of the time. That's where, you know, because in the end, him and I wanted the same thing and we, we respect each other, uh, highly, but I guess that the, the two different personality styles you know, like him being you know like a more emotional more intuitive and me being more uh, rational uh, got us into trouble and and conflicts that you know were totally ridiculous if you want my my opinion but hey that that's the way it happens you know like uh, a lot of conflicts in the world you know like stem from the same sort of uh, difference and you know what we have to live with it when you describe each other's personalities, the first thing I'm thinking is like a clash of the titans. And if anybody knows psychology 101, those two kind of personalities <laughs> are going to clash. You know, like I said, you both have the same objective and goal, but the way you approach it could really <laughs> make for a problem. Well, the thing is, you know, like uh, philosophy, psychology is 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 uh, as part of my academic background. You see, oh, like okay. I, I, I taught. I have like three bachelor's degree. I taught in university. I taught in college. You know, like I, you know, and now I'm, I'm a translator, technical writer, like in uh, communication security and stuff. So, I've always evolved, like in the university uh, environment. I'm doing a lot of um, literary translation as well. I, I've published, you know, like uh, literary translations at the. Uh, Ottawa University Press and stuff. So um, when it comes to culture, ideas, you know, like um, I, I'm, that that's my forte. That That's what I like. You know, I just can't wait to go back to university, you know, to do my um, uh, PhD in philosophy because, you know, like that, that's something I, I, I need that. Uh, so... Yes, when you have someone who's, who's rationalizing everything and then you end up with people who are, and again, I'm, I'm not depreciating or whatever, like, you know, personalities are, and tendencies are tendencies and we have to respect that, you know, and um, the reason why John is such a great guitarist and a, a great songwriter is because he writes everything from the guts. You, you know that whatever comes from this guy is real, is genuine. You know, it, you, there's nothing false about John. <laughs> you know, what yeah. what you see is what you get, and what you hear is what you get. And it comes from the heart and from the soul with him. And uh, so, in a way, it's, it's a great quality. Uh, Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't make things easier. 
<laughs> no, I know. We've had John on the show a couple of times before. He can get intense sometimes. He's let mellow now, like you said, but back then he can get a little intense. But I'm thrilled that you have so much education behind you and music is there for you also and that you're going for your PhD. You know, thousands of years now, Chin, Aristotle and, and Socrates, you're going to mention your name in that group too one day. Yes, yes. Um, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, you know, like, uh, Peter does all the writing because, you know, some of the, um, the lyrics that he's got that he comes up with, like, are pretty cool and stuff. And at one point, he asked me, like, do you want to write uh, lyrics? And I said, you know what, Peter, I have nothing to say, really. I used to because, you know what, maybe it's, it's a false idea that I have. But to me, if you want to write heavy metal songs, if you want the lyrics to be good and to fit the music, they have to be idealistic. They have to, you know, whatever. And, and I figure, like, okay, whatever I need to say or the, the, what I need to express, like, will just fall on, on deaf ears and stuff. I, I, I get the impressions. And and this idealist aspect, idealistic aspect, you know, like of my personal, I don't have it anymore because I used to have it, but I guess that, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm too stuck up and maybe I'm, I've become <laughs> so rational that, you know, like I just lost my imagination. But uh, what I feel like writing now, it's not lyrics. It's 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 a philosophy treatise. You know, and and I'm working on ideas already, so, so that's going to come up, that's for sure. But I mean, when it comes to lyrics, I don't know. I, I'm I still keep an open mind. Um, whenever I have an idea, I'll propose it to um, to Peter. But Peter is so, is so good already that hey, he's doing a great job. So maybe uh, I can afford to be lazy. Yeah, that's okay. Be a little lazy, but just keep putting out those records because the Assassin's Blade record is phenomenal. I, I believe it's coming out now, uh, this year, real soon, or maybe just did on vinyl also. Absolutely. Uh, it was the, I think it's coming out on the 20th or 27th or something like that. Yes, the vinyl uh, version. So to all collectors uh, around the world, I guess, you know, like if you like Assassin's Blade and you want uh, – a piece of it on vinyl, then you'll be able to order it from a Pure Steel record for sure. Oh, that's going to be great. Jacques, I'm going to have to let you go because we're running out of time, and I do want to get on some songs for people to hear. I mean, it was a pleasure talking with you today. Please, when the next record comes out, come back on the show. We'll catch up. We'll talk about a million other things. Well, I'll be uh, gladly coming back, and it was uh, a great pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, you know what? I'll chat with you anytime. Just give me a call. And uh, I'll most definitely say yes. You got it, my friend. Have a great night, and we'll talk again real soon. Absolutely. Take care, Mike, and uh, good good evening to all your listeners. Thank you. All right, let's get on some Assassin's Blade. Here's Dreadnought.
All right. Tell me that's not a great song. That is such a killer record. If you haven't bought it yet, pick it up. And now you can get the vinyl, which even though I have uh, the other copy of it, the CD version of it, I will buy the vinyl because I try to get vinyl of everything when it comes out. I guess it makes me feel like I'm a little kid back in Brooklyn, New York in the day, going to my local record store and buying my vinyl. So enjoy it. All right. We're going to wrap things up here tonight. Uh, we're going to close it out with something that Jacques did with Excited back in the day. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank my guest, Jacques Ballinger, Madam Mayhem. And uh, don't forget to tune in next week. Gerard, Jerry Franklin. Uh, you know him from the band Dizzy from back in the 80s. He's got a new band called Metal Life Crisis going on right now, as well as playing with T.C. Tolliver uh, from Plasmatics and his project, the uh, Franklin Tolliver Group. Uh, we'll talk to him next week. And uh, I think we got uh, John Peroni from uh, Intruder on the last Sunday of the month. And we got a great bunch of guests coming up in February on top of that. We'll announce it as we get a little closer on our website and on the Facebook page and everywhere else. But thank you guys for listening. I want to thank my guests tonight, Jacques and Madame Mayhem. Had a great time talking with everybody. Let's close. You know what? We were talk- I was talking about Blood of Tyrants, so I kind of have to close it out with that. So here you go. Excited. Blood of Tyrants. Take care, everybody. See you next Sunday night.
best heavy metal anywhere. BlogTalkRadio.com and Heavy Metal Mayhem. to understand that I'm more than simply a hype man for this rap group. Just like Geico is more than just a company that can save you money. Geico also has fast and friendly claim service so they can help you when you need it most. And while I do love being a hype man, I also love reading for children's audiobooks. Like Little Bo Peep, she lost the sheep and she don't know where to find them. Yo! Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Yo! Everybody get up! Everybody get up! Everybody needs to understand that I'm more than simply a hype man for this rap group. Just like Geico is more than just a company that can save you money. Geico also has fast and friendly claim service, so they can help you when you need it most. And while I do love being a hype man, I also love reading for children's audiobooks. Like Little Bo Peep, she lost the sheep, and she don't know where to find them. Yo! Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.